Room for Two, Episode 24, Ballad of the Sneak. Hello everybody, welcome to Episode 24 of Shroom for Two. I'm Taylor, coming to you from the bottom of a Philadelphia snowbank. And I'm Mike, coming at you from the melting remains of a Michigan snowbank. Pretty bad. So much snow. Jesus. Yeah, I guess we're paying for that damn groundhog and his cocky extra winter prediction, so it's his fault. Yeah, I think we're paying for a few weeks ago, there was a couple days where it was like 70, and I was like, oh man, this is great, and then now we're back to it being very not 70. Is that just a staple of February now, in that there will be this one unseasonably warm week or two? Because it feels like that's happened in the last couple of years. It's possible. I mean, who knows what the weather's going to be like going forward. Speaking of things that happened a few times in the last couple of years, I hit Ultimate this week. Nice. Yeah, I mostly played my P deck that I shared last week, and the actual last couple of fights of 49 were not that climactic. I got matched up against somebody who was ranked 6, and then against someone in their low 30s who forfeit really early. I'm like, okay, yay, I'll take it. But yeah, the P deck's really good. I didn't realize at the time, but Gadling P really kind of turns it into a combo deck, because between uh, P-Patch and Podfather and Torchwood, there's now enough things out there that can get you up to a 7-power bonus attack on that pretty reliably. It ends the game really quick if your opponent doesn't have anything to deal with it on that specific turn. So speaking of combos, there was an interesting Reddit thread that I found a few minutes ago that uh, we'll put in the show notes. Uh, it's called Tip, Primal Pea Shooter Prevents Nurse Garg from Healing at All. And it's a thread where people are talking about how Primal Pea Shooter interrupts triggered abilities. And so apparently Primal Pea Shooter will bounce Nurse Garg before Nurse Garg gains you life, uh, which is cool and seems to be kind of in line with some of the other things that interrupt that. Like if a Nurse Garg kills a Grapes of Wrath and the zombie's at six, uh, the Grapes of Wrath will deal six before Nurse Garg gains any life. Someone in the thread points out that that seemed kind of incongruous with Space Cowboy jumping out of the way of Primal Potato Mine and other and regular Potato Mine. Uh, that, you know, the Space Cowboy will move before the mine explodes and then the mine won't deal any damage. And so before the show started, we set out to kind of figure out what was going on there. Yep, we set up a match where uh, we drew cards until one of us had a pea shooter and one of us had a Space Cowboy and finally happened. And what happened was they damaged each other the Space Cowboy moved, and then it went back to my hand. Yeah, and so, you know, that got us thinking that maybe it has to do with triggered abilities when something hits the player happening first, and then triggered abilities on a creature happening afterwards. So the way we thought to manage that was we redid the same experiment, but instead of a Space Cowboy, we had a kite flyer on a laser base alpha. So we had a kite flyer with strike through. Kite flyer, when it normally hits a primal pea shooter, draws no cards. It'll just bounce and then draw nothing. Yep. But in this case, kite flyer draws one card and then it bounces. And of course, it draws two in the normal circumstance when it has strike through and hits a creature and the player. Uh, so that does indeed imply that triggered abilities check for the player taking damage before they check for the creature taking damage. And, you know, maybe that has something to do with the block meter, I don't know, but it is just, you know, one of those kind of emergent pieces of behavior that's not super obvious just by, you know, looking at our baseline understanding of the rules. Could also have something to do with how the game checks for 
when a one player has lethal damage, because like checks for lethal seem like something that happened very early on in the the process of all of the cards resolving, and it would like make how, sense. like how Tricorn will only attack in as many lanes as necessary to deal lethal. Yeah, that's a weird little side effect of the animation. But yeah, like it's not surprising to me that checks on the player taking damage happen before the plants or the zombies taking damage. Yeah, and so that that just gives us some some more stuff to try to think about like, you know, because the the abilities resolve, you know, lane by lane, but you know, of course, when a space cowboy has frenzy and strike through, it just goes nuts and runs all around. The like what if you had a a kite flyer with strike through and a like a jack-o'-lantern with strike through. Uh and so then both players got damaged. Um I wonder if the kite flyer would like draw a card and then the jack-o'-lantern would grow and then the kite flyer would draw another card or if it's just like all one thing and then all the other thing um as far as like sides going um and so yes yeah, so we've got some more stuff to to figure out in that case um but uh we'll post these results in that thread and we'll link the thread in the notes stay tuned for more incredibly specific breakdowns of weird edge cases <laughs> Moving on to our card of the week. This week we have the Electric Blueberry, a 5-mana Kabloom card. It's a berry, of course. It has 0 attack and 5 health. But after combat, it does 6 damage to a random zombie or maybe the zombie hero. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty strange. A lot of potential in that, and it's a very risky card, of course. Like It has no attack itself. It can get rolling stoned really easily, and... Mm-hmm. And it, it dies to the squirrel herder right away. It does. Berry decks seem to be everywhere, but I haven't seen this come up much. Yeah, it's certainly a very different kind of berry card than the, like, you know, high-voltage current strawberry and mushroom shelf kind of thing, where it's, like, very much about being low to the ground and dominating the board. This is, like, much more of a control card, but it's it's a control card in a really weird way. Like, if this if this could only hit creatures then I think it would be a much more reliable control vector. You know, like, it would be a much more reasonable game plan to kind of turtle up with one of these things behind, like, you know, maybe a primal walnut or something, and just kind of, like, let it plink away. But since it can go to the dome, you're not guaranteed to get a one-for-one trade, at least, out of the card. And so that makes it a little bit riskier of an investment. Um, The only other card that I can think of that's really anywhere close to this is Witch Hazel. Uh, which is another kind of underappreciated and and really seemingly underpowered card. Um, you know, that after combat is completely over, it destroys a random zombie and makes a puff shroom, and again is like a zero one. So I think that this card is cool to build with just to try to do something unorthodox, but I don't think that this card is going to be in a deck that shoots up the ladder. I think part of what is holding Electric Blueberry back is that Berry decks already have a very appealing 5-cost slot in the Bluesberry, which is a very Mm. good, much more reliable, consistent control card in that it will split the damage up, you know, doing 2 right away and then 3 when it attacks. Like, I think that is a better 5-cost card to be putting in the Berry decks that are out there these days, and it plays nicer with Starch and Strongberry. Certainly does do that. This is capable of doing some pretty powerful stuff. I mean, this would kill a defensive end if it hit it. Um, and, you know, because this doesn't actually tangle in combat, if you had, like, a 
Venus flytrap planet or something, you would gain six off it. You know, so again, it's a much narrower card because you need to have a specific kind of deck that is good at keeping a lot, good at keeping itself alive and good at protecting big fragile things. But you know, I think that the payoff is there if if you are able to properly give it an environment. I don't know, maybe I'll put my money where my mouth is and give this a shot in an upcoming deck. I haven't made a good berry deck yet. I think that might be because I don't have a full complement of. Uh, Sergeant Strongberries and Strawberryans. I'm mm. about half and half on those. But yeah, I've tried to put Electric Blueberry in past decks, and it is, it is very much like a, okay, I'm I'm controlling the hell out of you, and I'm going to play this after I'm sure you've used all of your Rolling Stones or Knockouts or whatever. Right. And things that do six damage in one felt swoop are few and far between, and this is a recurring one of those, so that is a lot of super late game damage potential right there and like it feels really good when you you know steal a lethal from a surprise dome hit instead of killing whatever because like things that hit a random target are really easy to plan around after one turn Mm -hmm. you know odds are by that late in the game the zombie hero has a handful of small things they can send out on one turn to you know hopefully kill a cell phone zombie or whatever the scenario where this plant like really kind of dominates is a scenario where you're winning already, which is, you know, certainly something that does not add PowerPoints to a card. You know, like you want a card to be able to take you from a situation where you're not winning to a situation where you're winning and one where, you know, they have no creatures and your electric blueberry is sitting there um, is one where electric blueberry is at its best. And, you know, that's like not a scenario that you need to really put cards in your deck to deal with because you're going to win that game anyway. Right now, all I'm thinking about is putting this in some kind of weird Spadow 3-nut deck to mm. give it a little more uh, survivability on its own, and now I'm thinking about a 3-nut berry deck, so I might go and play around with this uh, this week now that I'm at Ultimate. Yeah, that is an interesting idea. I mean, like, Spadow is probably the hero that I would use to try to play with this um, just because the Guardian stuff is seems to me like the first thing I think I put this behind a wall so that it survives to shoot a bunch of stuff. Um, and you know, Spadow is certainly where you'd go to do that. I don't know. Maybe there's like a, maybe there's like a Solar Flare kind of Astro Vera kind of deck where like got this to kind of like carry you through a mid game scenario and like you know maybe as for a, a bursty life gain off something like a Venus Flytrap planet. I'm not sure. I wonder if getting it out on turn three would be like a strong call to it because. You can follow that up like a, like a turn two if you can get the twin sunflower down. Oh you yeah, can follow that up with electric blueberry, and that might be enough to take over the game. It's really all a matter of do they have the one to two specific answers to it that come in whatever two classes they're playing. Like you know whether they can barrel a barrel something weak or final mission a barrel of dead beards or rolling stone yeah. like we said before. But yeah, if if you don't run into one of those, it's clear sailing. At least until they play something in front of it. Yeah, and let us know if you've ever had any success with this, because this is definitely, like you said, Mike, not something that I really ever see. But yeah, it's out there. Uh, get it if you didn't have it before, or grind it up if you really need the sparks. But yeah, uh, let us know about what berry decks you're using and why you're not using this card. Or if you are using it, let us know. Uh, okay, so it's time for Class Warfare, which we haven't done in a while. We are on the zombies this time, and we are going to pick Sneaky. Definitely one of my favorite classes, and one of the, the best ones out there right now. 
a lot of tools going on, a lot of strong themes, a lot of big keywords that are pretty much exclusively in Sneaky's domain. Yeah, we were we were surprised by that when we were looking these over before this segment. So does everybody start with Superbrains as their zombie hero? I believe so, yeah. Superbrains is very uh, prominent in all of the art and, and such. I'm pretty sure Superbrains is the tutorial zombie hero. Yeah, like, because when we did Mega Grow, you know, we talked about all the all the powerful stuff that's crammed into the Mega Grow class, and, you know, you always start as Green Shadow, and so that, that made some sense. Um, and I think, looking over this, you know, there's a lot of... Let, let, let's just go down the list. So, Sneaky gets all the movement. Um, so, all the stuff like the chickens that move randomly, and all the stuff like Line Dancing Zombie that moves on command, that ends up here. They get all of the strike through. If there's a zombie strike through card, it is a sneaky card. They're the only ones with it, either from environment or from a pirate buff or just stuff like line dancing zombie and space cowboy. They get all the strike through. They also get virtually all the anti hero. The only exception to that is kitchen sink zombie, which you know, as like a pushed cash shop only card, is like kind of understanding that they would bend the color pie in that case. And uh, yeah, so the. All the stuff like mini ninja, you know, like smoke bombing a mini ninja around is like extremely strong. And those are two basics, you know, so like that's that's very clearly designed to be core to the sneaky gameplay style. Yeah, that's one of the first zombie tricks that the game teaches you. They get all of the deadly stuff. And it wasn't that long ago that all of the deadly stuff was just um, the smelly zombie and that one barrel roller and and toxic waste imp. But uh, they've added a lot of deadly stuff to the game from the last couple of expansions through Barrel of Barrels and Laser Base Alpha and things like that. So deadly is a very strong removal form, and it, it's what Sneaky has instead of, you know, destroy a zombie with X attack mm-hmm. or do Y damage or stuff like that. And they also have the bouncing stuff, so anything that lets you return your opponent's cards to their hand is in the Sneaky domain. Yeah, and uh, that's that's continuing to be a theme of, of Sneaky with uh, Blowgun Imp coming out. That's definitely something that's still in their primary plan. They also have far and away the most gravestones. Uh, so they have the gravestone synergy stuff, headstone carver. I don't think they have the one drop. I think that's a crazy card. The new one from Triassic Triumph, yeah, Grave Robber is another kind of gravestone build around me, and that was given to Crazy. With the exception of that, pretty much all of the gravestone payoffs are in here. So mix up Gravedigger, uh, Graveyard, and different things like that. Yeah, they have roughly twice as many gravestone creatures as any other color does, and that leads to a lot of deceptive mind games of, ooh, you, you especially don't know what I have in here. Like, they, they have the most graves that every cost of gravestones i believe so you know on turn two pretty obvious with some heroes what that turn two gravestone they played is but if you're playing a sneaky hero you're not really sure i really like the pirate monkey guy that came out with the last expansion yeah who steals the block meter pieces yeah that that feels well one that feels really nice as a follow-up to headstone carver Mm -hmm. also it provides a little bit of getting faked out by expecting a swashbuckling zombie yeah, and that looking at that now, that's a pirate pet. So that's like two very strong, aggressive tribes. So, you know, like neither of them wants you to be able to block. And if you can take two sections off their block meter, that's maybe one more volley that you get to get in for like four or five that doesn't cause them to, to block. 
Yes, that's good stuff. And, you know, I can see how a design team that has a lot of heritage from magic um, would come up with a mechanic like gravestones. There's a there's a mechanic called morph in magic, which is basically the same exact sort of thing. Like you play a creature face down for a generic cost. And so you hide the true cost from the player uh, or from the opponent. They don't know what it is. Sometimes it's something that you do want to block. Sometimes it's something that you don't want to block. Um, and, you know, you can have triggered abilities when they come out. And, uh, yeah, it's just like a it's a very kind of deep mechanical pool to have creatures that you don't know what they are until later. And Sneaky is definitely where most of that lives. They also have big domain over a few of the larger, more prominent tribes out there. Sneaky is very much the imp color. Oh, yeah. And that all of the core components of any kind of imp package are all sneaky cards. So stuff like the imposter, toxic waste imp, imp commander, all that stuff is where the sneaky gets their gets their work done. And they've also got a bunch of pets, which is a little surprising because they don't have any of the stuff that buffs the pets like the beastly hero does with zookeeper and cat lady. But a lot of creatures in this class just happen to be pet zombies. So, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like the the guy with the parrot or fire rooster or even space cowboy and trapper yeah and ducky tube zombie you know there's a there's a lot of um powerful creatures that just happen to be pets and that's that's a good way to have beastly and sneaky be strong in the pet domain but still keep them mechanically distinct from each other you know like the pet payoffs are all in beastly but there's still plenty of reasons to have the other main pet color be your your pet combo just because they're also strong oh man you could do a pet deck with shark bot yeah okay so uh something else that they get all of is freezing um that's something that with the exception of brain freezes ultimate uh superpower wasn't in the game at the beginning the zombies didn't have access to cards that froze stuff uh but since then they've gotten some and they've all been sneaky so frosty mustache we're, we're all very familiar with that uh, there's the big clunky Yeti. There's the new unthawed Viking uh, who everybody who played Plants vs. Zombies 2 hated how he would just roll over all your stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, the freezing mechanic is certainly going on in here. Another obscure way that uh, sneaky players have to keep their opponent's attacks at bay without being like a damage based or a hard removal spell. Yeah, it's a very tempo oriented way to hobble your opponent, you know, just like make them spend a little bit more time fixing something that went wrong instead of proactively stopping you. They also get almost all of the pirates, which kind of fits in with the ideas of moving stuff around and getting strike through and and being deadly. It kind of rolls all of those things into one and puts them all under a pirate umbrella. It also makes sense because pirates are nautical and sneaky is one of the few zombie colors that gets amphibious cards. Oh yeah, they are one of only two. A lot going on here, a lot of really good stuff. A lot of really different ways a sneaky deck can look like. They can be imp-based aggro, rush them down things, or they can be long-term control things where you're doing mixed-up Gravedigger, Pogo Dan- Bouncer shenanigans. Yeah, or even, you know, there's a lot of ramp payoffs in here as well. You know, you've got um, the Plank Walker, uh, now you've got the Gondola... And, you know, just kind of other big haymakers and finishers as well. So Walrus Rider, the amphibious thing with Antihero, Blogan Imp, the thing that, you know, just kind of punches a hole in their defenses. That's a useful thing to do in that particular scenario. Even Surprise Garg, that is 
that was one of the first cards mm. I really fell in love with on the zombie side, just having this big body, you know, getting a 5-6 for 5 mana, which is pretty good returns, and a pretty good chance of getting an open swing at your opponent for 5. Like, mm-hmm. that, that is what a finisher should be for... And, like, it, it's very uh, easy to grasp for newer players saying, like, oh, this is a big thing that goes somewhere other than where my opponent thinks it's going to be. And I think we haven't even mentioned Conjure yet. The only way for sneaky cards to draw cards out that actually exist in your deck is with Imp Commander. Um, otherwise, all their card draw is Conjuration, which, of course, didn't exist in the first set of this game. And so, you know, like, they've got the big boss, Dr. Spacetime. They've also got lots of little incidental Conjuration stuff, yeah. you know. They have the most cards that conjure other cards and, you know, stuff like Imposter and Barrel of Barrels and the, the new treasure chest and, and all that. There's plenty of cards here that give you a card, and they all work well with Dr. Spacetime. Totally. And, I mean, we've we've had a number of Dr. Spacetime questions and prompts and decks that have come up on the show, and, you know, there really are viable Dr. Spacetime decks in every class combination. Dr. Spacetime is one of those cards that's powerful enough, the synergy is there, um, there's enough stuff that does Conjuration in the other colors to, you know, really make a powerful thing available to each of them. And so that's just, you know, cool stuff to explore, which is why I'm in this whole card game business. Yeah, and that's a card that gets stronger as new stuff comes out that creates Conjures for any color. Yeah, now that Conjuration has proven to be an evergreen mechanic, you know, it's in every set or can go in every set, Dr. Spacetime is one of those, as you'll find out in just a moment, Dr. Spacetime is one of those cards that we really recommend that that people get their hands on. Speaking of cards we recommend people get their hands on, it's time for the segment of Class War where we recommend what cards people get their hands on. So, Mike, what super rare card do you recommend that people craft uh, if they're a new player just starting out? Uh, We had a really hard time narrowing this one down and... um... I believe I picked Dr. Spacetime, correct? I believe you did, yes. Been a big fan of this card, not quite immediately since it came out, but pretty much since the start of the show, prompting from a very early listener question we got about making a Dr. Spacetime deck, I went ahead and crafted three more of them, and it is one of my best crafting choices to date because there's so much good value in this card. There's a lot of stats for, for its price. It's probably not going to get taken down on the turn you play it, and if it does, it'll cost them probably two removal spells. Mm-hmm. Not only is it great for when it attacks, so if you have something with strike through or you know maybe even smoke bombs to move it around, you get value from that. But also just from your other stuff that conjures cards, it's just sitting out there. Even if it you know has been given zero attack somehow, it can still play off of your unexpected gifts or cosmic scientist or whatever other conjuration cards you have in your deck. Yeah, and something else that's cool about it is that the equivalent plant card that decreases the cost of your conjuration stuff is a legendary. Like Captain Cucumber is a three mana one four that has that same text. And this is a two mana one five, you know, and so it's clear that zombie decks that want to abuse the conjuration cards are definitely like put in your face as a viable strategy more clearly. And yeah, Dr. Space Time is really quite good. All right. And what about you, Taylor? What's your pick for a super rare to craft? Uh, mine is good old Toxic Waste Imp. Two mana, two, two, amphibious. All imps are deadly. Uh, and he is an imp himself. And it is the thing that made imp decks so strong back before any event cards were around, back when it was just the core set. You know, we've said, I don't know how many times on this show, like, a card's 
utility is like, does it pass the toxic waste imp test? Can it pull a toxic waste imp out of the water? Can it reach out and kill a toxic waste imp? Yeah, toxic waste imp just kind of really lets your cheap creatures trade with their big stuff. That's what an aggro deck wants to do. Um, and helps them, you know, not want to block your stuff, gives them an opportunity to make mistakes. Something else that's very good for a skillful deck builder is to build things into their decks that their opponent can make the wrong decision on. Um, and yeah, so Toxic Waste Imp will certainly pay dividends for you if you get your hands on some. It's a way for you to punch up above your weight class in that with the help of the super rare, your little commons and tokens can take out whatever legendaries your opponent's throwing out there. For sure. Uh, all right, Mike, what about an event card? Staying with the imp theme, I am going with Imposter, the one-mana 2-1 mustache imp zombie that when it's destroyed, it conjures you a one-cost imp that gets a spiffy new mustache. <laughs> Which used to just be trinket text that caused some cute little graphical things to happen, but now it's very relevant. Do you think that when they're designing new cards and a design for a one-cost imp comes up, someone on the animation team is like, ugh, you mean I gotta find a place to put a mustache on that guy now, too? (laughs) I bet so. I mean, and a card like um, Mustache Waxer is really going to make it relevant whether uh, a cheap thing has a mustache on it anymore, you know, and like... I think that that's a, that's a funny kind of design artifact. Yeah, this, this card is real nice. It's not the most intimidating thing to throw down on your first turn, but it does kind of create a, a bit of a quandary for your opponent when they think, okay, what do I need to invest into killing that? Because whatever I sacrifice, they're going to get another card back in their hand, and it is only just two damage. You know, maybe I should take care of it before it becomes a deadly token. Maybe it won't even matter then. It... it it adds a lot of indecision. Agreed. Yeah, Imposter was, I believe, was uh, it was in the store pretty recently. Or maybe not. No, that was the Rooster. Yeah, Imposter, I guess, is coming up later. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's real good. Also only 1,000, too. Yeah. My choice for a sneaky event card to craft is Captain Flameface. Uh, the 3-mana 2-4 mustache pirate zombie. All pirates have strike through. Uh, so this is a essential piece of the pirate aggro deck. Um, you know, it's a very strong follow-up to the Swashbuckler, the one that says whenever a pirate connects, it gets plus one, plus one. Um, and so this means that all your pirates connect. And it's good stats for its cost of 2-4, wears pants pretty well. You know, you can put a um, something like a sugary treat on it, and it's very scary. And yeah, it's it's the sort of thing that players who don't have access to the entire universe of cards will want to play tribal stuff generally so that they can like eke out the extra benefit of the tribal synergy. And there's a lot of cheap pirates. There's a lot of common pirates and captain Flameface is a good kind of, you know, crown jewel to sit on top of that strategy. The scariest thing I've seen off of captain Flameface is that the shield crusher Viking, the brainy legendary is a pirate. So it will just go through your opponent's block meter and do seven bullseye if uh, Flameface is out. I really love Flameface as a a thing to hide underneath a grave lane. In mm, that, yeah. you know, it, it adds that bonus effect to all your other stuff on the field, but your opponent doesn't realize it until it's too late, and it also wears the, the plus one attack as a strike through thing real nicely. Definitely. Alright, Mike, what about legendaries? Alright. A lot of good sneaky legendaries out there. I finally settled on the Zombot Plankwalker as my pick. The 8-mana, 6-6 with Strike Through, Pirate Science Zombie, Amphibious, 
and when you play it, it makes two other random pirates in random lanes, and there's a lot of really good pirates out there. I like this card a lot as a, a late-game finisher. Having even just a 6-6 with strike through is uh, enough sometimes to win without your opponent having anything to do about it, but you're also throwing in the fact that you get all that extra board presence, and you could get something really incredible, like a Intergalactic Warlord or a Shield Crusher Viking. A lot of good stuff out there, and it, it's a lot of value in one card, and like a good... If, if you're going to have something dedicated to a game going long, this is a good way to get back in the game with only one card. Yeah, definitely. It's an oldie but a goodie. Um, another oldie but a goodie is my pick, which is Mixed Up Gravedigger. Uh, also from the core premium set. 5 mana 5, 5 professional mustache zombie. When played, each zombie hides in a gravestone. Mix them up randomly. Uh, so this is cool because it does that very legendary thing of a mechanic that only exists on this card. Also, from a rules perspective, I think it's pretty funny that, as written, this would just infinitely do it forever, uh, but it doesn't uh, re-trigger when it comes out of the gravestone, unlike every other when-played zombie. Uh, so I think that's pretty funny. But this is just a great way to rebuy all your powerful um, Enter the Battlefield effects, whether or not they existed on a gravestone creature at the first uh, point. So, you know, lets you rebuy your Pogo Bouncer, lets you rebuy pretty much anything. If the creatures have taken damage, they come back with full health, all that stuff. Yeah, it's a great way to protect your creatures from, like, a, say, a Kabloom hero trying to fire off a Colonel Corn or a Cherry Bomb. You just throw everything underground right away, and your opponent has nothing to do about it. Yeah, and there is more Gravestone hate these days than there was originally. So, you know, originally there was just Gravebuster, and now you got Grave Mistake and Blockbuster and uh, Cool Bean. But, you know, I think that the presence of some hosers does not detract from the power of this card in any way. It means that you're taking on a little bit more risk by including it in your deck. Um, but, I mean, there's really never going to not be risk for including something in your deck. There's always going to be something that kind of gets in underneath you. Um, and Mixed Up Gravedigger is a very powerful haymaker to to go well in a lot of strategies, whether you're doing a dedicated headstone carver thing or not. It has a really strong body and a crazy good effect all bundled up into one, which is, is bonkers, especially when you consider that this card used to be a super rare. Yeah. Even still being a 5-5, five five, when, when the big rarity shift happened, I one thing I thought I could have seen coming was... Uh, was mixed up Gravedigger getting his stats lowered, but that has not happened. Like, this is still a very good card. You know, you can run things like Brain Vendor or a Regifting Zombie to give yourself a whole bunch of value on one turn and then recycle it again. Yeah, for sure. You you trigger um, ETBs on your environments as well, so, you know, a, uh, a Brain Lane is going to get you extra resources there. And, you know... I think it's interesting that we haven't really seen another kind of gravestone. I don't want to say Lord, because we have seen stuff that buffs gravestone creatures, but like a, a gravestone, like capstone, you know, like the way that mixed up gravedigger, like is clearly like a big thing that says do gravestones. The only other thing that I can think of like that is cursed gargolith, which just, you know, kind of plays up the defensive angle of the gravestones by putting all your gargantuars in there. But, you know, there's like, there's not another, powerful top end thing that interacts with other gravestones and maybe that's because mixed up gravedigger is so strong that they that's like a angle where they don't really want to to take lightly uh and i certainly would uh understand that 
But uh, yeah, Mixup Gravedigger is kind of in a league of its own. I think the way things are settled now with the cards we have out, Gravestones probably don't need to be pushed any further on the power scale than they are. Like, that's already a pretty powerful thing, and each new Gravestone creature creation dilutes the pool as to what a given Gravestone could be. The fact that a Gravestone without you know, one of the hard removal destroy a gravestone spell, it can't be destroyed by just doing damage to it like you could in the original PvZ games. Yeah, it would be interesting if, like, if, you know, if a gravestone... If a gravestone was a thing that was just like a zero five or something, and like you know, if you yeah. dealt five to a gravestone, it would it would explode. That actually is pretty neat. I mean, because the the gravestones as they exist currently, you know, as you say, do remove a pretty giant interaction point. It's like it's pretty much says untrickable. You know, like unless you've got the very small handful of things yeah, the, that directly the bat grave removal spray. Yeah, um, you know, regular removal spells are gonna not hit your creatures, which is something that morph does not do. Uh, back to that mechanic from magic. You know, like, those creatures that are face down generically are still creatures and can be hit by all the same stuff. And the gravestones, you know, kind of have extra layer of protection. But, you know, that's just one of the many cool things about this game. And lastly, let's pick our favorite sneaky heroes. Oh, yeah, I always forget that we do that. Why don't you go first? I'm going to take Neptuna. I think Neptuna rules. I, I like her for imp decks. I like her for conjure decks. She can run a really impressive gravestone package. I I like the small removal tricks in Hardy. I think those go well with all the deadly stuff and all the bounce stuff from Sneaky. I've had a lot of fun playing my my Conjure Neptuna deck. Like that is one of the the zombie ones I default to. So yeah, big fan of Neptuna. I'm gonna go with Infinity. Crazy is one of my favorite classes to play. And uh, the sneaky stuff interacts with it in a very different way than the beastly stuff does from Electric Boogaloo. You know, it's just, uh, it's good to be able to move your guys around. It's good to be able to give deadly to something that comes in with a token, you know, so like you get even that much more extra value off your small thing. And uh, just the, the way that the buffs in the crazy class interact with the tiny mobile things in the sneaky class uh just really leads to some tactical uh position matters size of creatures matters kind of gameplay and um i'm very into it yeah infinity is great no argument here that i i thought real hard about picking infinity but i feel like i took him for my crazy hero when we did that episode so i wanted to share the love a little bit but yeah very good choice definitely all right, and uh, if you have any sneaky hero decks that you want to tell us about or any particular thing about the sneaky class that you love, uh, please write to us at shroomfor2podcast at gmail.com. Yes, and check out shroomfor2.com for all of our old episodes and old decks. And if you haven't been over to iTunes yet, you can pop over there and give us a review, one of the nice ones. Oh, yeah, that's right. We are a podcast that has reviews and whatnot, and so some of that would be cool. We also have a YouTube channel, which mostly contains videos of us fighting each other, and uh, it's something that we're going to keep doing. Our YouTube channel is Shroom for Two Podcast, and uh, keep an eye out there for more video content. All right. All that and more next time on Shroom for Two. I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. See you next time, everybody. Beware the Ides of March. Oh, yeah, that's coming up, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a week and a day from now. I'll be sure not to get murdered by any close associates. So I guess this would be like the Ides of the Ides of March, because it's like halfway to the halfway point. Is that what Ides means?
Probably. I'm going to assume it does, and maybe I won't even check. Oh man, we are very good at doing podcasts that end when my phone is at one, because my phone is at one. So cool. Cool. <laughs>